rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Welcome to episode 183 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode, I'm going to continue my run through season three of the newly minted Adventures of Superboy. The uh, show was rebranded uh, going into uh, season three, and this week I'm going to be covering the episodes The Lair and The Nila, two rather ordinary episodes of the show, I might add. The uh, first one I don't recall having seen before, I might have. But I definitely do remember uh, Neela from uh, first run uh, back in 1990. But before I get into uh, this week's episode coverage, I'm going to uh, address some feedback here. I have feedback from Dave McElvenny. I know you're surprised, aren't you? Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 172. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. The battle with Pizarro was a little disappointing as an ending to the previous episode. Pizarro, the thing of steel. There were some things I liked about it. The continued emphasis on the pathos rather than the stupidity of Bizarro, and the treatment of Bizarro as a childlike but unintentionally dangerous character, and Superboy's sense of kinship with him. Unfortunately for me, the episode suffered from parts I didn't like as much. It felt to me that the writer, Mark Jones, was beginning to lean into the Bizarro as opposite, which is a version I'm less fond of. For me, he is an imperfect duplicate of the original, not an opposite. He has the same, not opposite powers. He has similar but imperfect memories to Superboy's. He has, at least in the comics, a similar but imperfect weakness to Superboy. As for emotions, he does have those, but again, imperfect versions. He clearly has some kind of feelings for Lana, and he is clearly hurt and angered by people's reaction to him, and Lana's rejection of him. I did like that, at the end of the episode, he was cured of some of the ill effects of his imperfect nature so that he won't explode, and his thinking seemed to be a little less muddled, but still impaired, because I want the character to return at some point. I don't know if he will, or if the writers will go to the stupid opposite Bizarro that he becomes in the comics, but that's not the version I like. For me, it becomes too much of a repetitive joke and can lead to lazy storytelling. Mr. and Mrs. Superboy brought a return of Mr. Mixius Pitalik, and it was good to see a decent representation of a comic book character by Michael Pollard, but I think the story was a bit flat, and I think there was a missed opportunity in this one. With Superboy and Lana adopting Mixius Pitalik, it might have been nice to have Superboy think about how the Kent adopted him and taught him valuable life lessons, so maybe he could try, but probably fail to do something similar for Mixie Spitalik. I realized that probably wasn't something the writers even thought about, but I'd like to have seen even a voiceover internal monologue where Superboy had such a thought. Well, I didn't write the stories, and they're over 30 years old, so I don't really get a say. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, I thank you, Dave, for writing in. Yeah, you know, that's one of the problems with two-part episodes, I think, is that when you... Take two episodes to tell a story that there's going to be some kind of grandiose ending, and that's kind of a maybe that's an expectations problem or what. But no, this show, this episode did kind of end in a weird way. You know, they did continue to emphasize the childlike nature of Bizarro rather than his uh, stupidity. And the one thing I do like is, is Superboy's kinship with him because 
he does feel a connection to Bizarre, even though he's quite frustrated by him. And uh, yeah, Mark Jones did learn lean a little bit into the Bizarre as opposite stuff. And I'm really not as fond of that, too. I prefer the misunderstood monster as well. It's easy to see where in a kid's cartoon or if you're telling a really kiddie story that the the opposite Superman version of Bizarro can uh, evoke some laughs. But in the kind of stories this show wants to tell, the misunderstood monster imperfect duplicate story is the way to go. Although even if the word imperfect is kind of suspect, I mean, nothing is perfect. Everything. We're all imperfect. So I'm not necessarily sure what imperfect really means. <laughs> In the context of Bizarro, but that's just kind of the word that gets thrown around. So that's kind of what we go with. And yeah, when Dave mentions that Bizarro is clearly hurt and angered by people's reactions to him, it's because he doesn't, he thinks with the mind of a child that doesn't have the control that an adult would have, in most cases at least. I don't know if it was the Bizarro kryptonite, I mean, maybe it was, or just something clicked in Bizarro that made him understand a little bit about Lana's feelings for Superboy. And maybe his thinking was a little bit less muddled, but as you saw in the uh, two-part Bizarro story that we just covered last week, his uh, thinking is still impaired. His emotions are still out of control. He still really doesn't understand. So I'm not sure the Bizarro Kryptonite solution in this episode, while it cured him from exploding, didn't do much for Bizarro's ability to control his emotions. And obviously, as you've already listened to last week's episode, Dave, you already know that Bizarro did return. He'll return at least once more. There's a season four two-parter, To Be Human, where Bizarro comes back and actually takes human form. So that's coming up. I think that's season four. I don't believe that's season three. We are going to see Bizarro again. So you have uh, at least that to look forward to, Dave. All right. As far as Mr. and Mrs. Superboy goes, I said it in the... My coverage of the episode, and I guess I'll say it again here, I I did not care for this episode pretty much at all. And, I mean, yeah, it was nice to see M Michael Pollard showing up as a Mixie Pitalik, but I kind of like Mixie more as kind of a harmless prankster and not this uh, creeper that that he was in these two episodes. I mean, and honestly, the stuff with the stuff with Richard Keelty just you know, didn't appeal, appeal. It got old. And, yeah, it would have been nice to how, see how the Kent adopted him and taught him valuable life lessons, but... I'm not sure the the writers of the, of this episode were particularly interested in that. I think they just wanted to tell a comedic story. And they certainly did that. And as far as an internal monologue with uh with Superboy's thoughts, I've never been a fan uh, in TV and movies of internal monologue. It just seems to uh create a lot of extra noise that you don't really need. So Thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you'd like to write in, too, at manascreen at gmail.com. Now I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. And when I come back, I'll talk about The Lair. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne, oh, he, he just draws the greatest butt on Superman. It looks so good. John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he? 
John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. The good, the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I got a question though, I just am curious. Why? Doesn't Green Lantern have any junk? Welcome back, folks. So we're going to start this episode off with The Lair. This is episode three of season three. Original broadcast date is October 20th, 1990. It was directed by David Grossman. This episode was written by Stan Berkowitz. Guest cast included Jordan Williams as Pat Kenderson, Mike Pinooski as The Creature, Anthony Carone as Ben, Tom Nowicki as Bob, Dennis Neal as Ed, Robert Small as Ron, Paul Vroom as Hal, Buddy Staccato as Jerry, Kathy Neff as Mrs. Carter, Joe Ring as the bartender, and D. Christian Gottschall as Artie. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Two men are drinking and driving through the woods at night when a creature walks onto the road and spooks them, causing them to crash. They make it out just before their pickup explodes. The creature picks up a rearview mirror from the wreckage, revealing his mutilated face. A couple days later at the Bureau, Clark discusses the case file with Jackson in the hall. Jackson doesn't believe the story because they were drunk. Mr. Jackson! Mr. Kent! What have you got there? For me? UFOs on the White House lawn? Bigfoot and blooming death? No, sir. It's the blood alcohol report on those two hunters that saw the creature. Allegedly saw. Always remember that word, Kent. Allegedly. Oh, boy. Sir, what's wrong? Kent, I want to tell you something. Don't ever drink and drive. No, sir, I, I wouldn't. No, no, I guess you wouldn't. I forgot who I was talking to. No wonder they wrecked their truck. Both of them came in over 3.0. I'm surprised the driver didn't tell the paramedics that he'd seen Superboy arm wrestling the Loch Ness Monster. That'd be impossible. Really? Yes, sir, you see, the Loch Ness Monster doesn't have arms. Allegedly. If I had known we were dealing with drunks, I wouldn't have bothered sending Matt out to investigate. But it's been a couple of days. Stop worrying. Matt's a pro. Besides, he's got a gun. He knows how to use it. Lana is concerned because the creature has no record of harming anyone. Clark, did he say gun? Oh, hi, Lana. Are we still going to lunch today? Yeah, sure. What did he say about a gun? It's just for protection. And who's going to protect the creature? The creature? Come here. I've got a record of every sighting of the creature in this file. And you know what? It never hurt anybody. Not even those two drunks. One of them actually admitted they tried to run it over. 
Just because it hasn't hurt anyone yet doesn't mean it never will. Clark! It's the last of its kind. It's just trying to exist in a world that humans are destroying. Think how lonely it must be. I know where you're going with this, and you shouldn't. It could be dangerous. Leave it to Matt. Promise me? Promise me. Matt is, is out at the sighting of the creature. While looking through his binoculars, he sees a group of men in protective suits getting out of a truck. Then, something blocks his view. He lowers his binoculars to see the creature staring down at him. At the local bar, Clark is supposed to meet Lana, but she doesn't show. Clark figures she broke her promise and went to investigate the creature. Clark overhears some men talking about going to hunt the creature. An or beast, nothing can stand up to an AK-47. Yeah, but nobody knows what the hell this thing is. Yeah, and how are you going to find it out there? I was in Nam, remember? So you with me? Uh, this Sunday's good for me. I was thinking about now. Well? I say, excuse me, uh, did I hear you say you're going to look for that creature? Yeah, we're going. You want to come? No, I don't want to go. None of us should. It's already being investigated. We shouldn't go. It could be dangerous. Sure, I'm glad there weren't any like you with me and Nam. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Out of the siding, Lana takes some water into her canteen, and the men arrive to hunt the creature. Thinking that Lana's movement through the bushes is the creature, they follow it. Clark arrives into the truck and changes to Superboy. When his super breath fails to spook the men, he succeeds with the teeth vision, sending them running hysterically. As Lana sees Superboy leaving, she stumbles to his lair. Clark shows up moments later, and they find the family photo on a shelf. When they hear movement outside, Clark leaves and tries to change the Superboy until Lana follows him out. They both walk into a clearing, where they are surrounded by men wearing tactical gear. They are taken to the office of Pat Kenderson, who owns a power plant in the area. You better tell us who you are. Shut up. You really shouldn't talk to her like that. Oh, really? What are you going to do about it? Nobody's going to do anything, Ben. I'm Pat Kenderson. My company owns this place. Uh, look, I'm sorry for the rough treatment. Everyone's a little on edge thanks to this damn thing running around out there. You are? Clark Kent. Alana Lang. You believe in the creature? You bet I do. I can't afford not to. This plant provides power to over 400,000 homes. Last thing I need are disruptions on my land. Now, that's why I've hired these fellas, so they can get the thing. To kill it? That's what it takes. But what about its scientific value? To me, it's just an animal. But what if you give us a chance to find it before? No, not on my land. I know you two are a little curious, but you're also trespassing, and I am a very, very busy man. You know, you are the most insensitive person I've ever Oh, Lana. You know, he is right. We don't belong here. I'd listen to him. Oh, uh, a friend of ours was out here. Matt Ritter. I was wondering if any of your men ran into him. Yeah, they did. He said that he couldn't find anything around the accident site, so he was going to move north for a few days. They also said that he looked like he knew what he was doing, unlike you and your little girlfriend. Later, Kenderson goes to the storeroom where Matt is being held. This 
is irradiated water from the reactor's cooling system. Now, do you know what uh, this can do to you? Hmm? To your skin, your internal organs, your children, if you should ever have any. Good. Now, how much do you know about this place? Everything. How did you find out? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Just heard Group B spotted Superboy. Superboy? Yeah, he was flying over the forest. Let him come. I'll have a little surprise for him. Oh, I also have a little surprise for you. <laughs> Always buy bottled. The tap water around here is almost as bad as the irradiated stuff. Back at the Bureau, Mrs. Carter, the wife of the creature, now identified as Michael Carter, meets with Clark and Lana. Mr. Kent? Clark, this is Lana Lang. Have a seat, please. Well, how did you find me? The name of the photographer was on the back of the photograph we found. He gave us your number. Lana? Here's the picture. It's mine. Where did you find it? it? It was in the forest. Any idea how it might have gotten there? Two years ago, somebody broke into the house. They stole this. Should we talk to Mr. Carter? <laughs> he died two years ago. Kenderson continued to torture Matt at the plant. Back at the bureau. Why don't you take a break? Let's go eat. I can't. I'm still going through the insurance company's files. You tapped into somebody else's files? <laughs> you know, maybe I've been wrong about you all these years. You see, I figure if I want to go to Metropolis and be a reporter one day, I have to take the initiative. Besides, I'm not doing any harm. Nah, I wasn't wrong. So what'd you get? Well, I found out that Michael Carter had a $100,000 life insurance policy but his wife never collected. And $100,000? Well, why wouldn't she? Maybe because there's no death certificate for Michael Carter. He's not dead. I don't know, but I found out one other thing. He used to work at the Lakeside Nuclear Power Facility. What are you getting at? I wish I could be sure. Then Artie, the Bureau of Scientists, discovers that there's radiation nearby, and his Geiger counter leads him into Lana's canteen, filled with the water she collected before. Clark then leaves. Back at his lair, Mr. Carter attacks one of Kenderson's men who has trespassed, and Superboy arrives and breaks up the fight. Carter tells of how he became the creature. You're Michael Carter, aren't you? How did you know? It all adds up. Working at the plant, the fake death, the photo. You stole the picture? A friend did. Your wife has it now. Did you know she's telling people you're dead? Well, I might as well be. How can I go back to her like this? What is it, some kind of radiation poison? I could get you to a doctor. It's no use. I went to one when it started. It's radiation poisoning. But it's also justice. Justice? I was working at Lakeside, disposing of irradiated water. Kenderson was caught in all kind of corners trying to save money. Told us to use the river. I didn't go along. Not at first. But he told me I'd lose my job if I didn't. Is that how you were contaminated? Contaminated? 
Nice word. I'm a monster. Why don't you stop Kenderson once and for all? You're the only one that can link him to the dumping. I'll take you to the police. No! They can't see me. I'm a monster. You'll be a hero. No! The intruder shoots him. Superboy tries to help him, but Mr. Carter chooses to die in peace. Superboy breaks into Kenderson's board meeting and forces him to tell him where Matt is. When he goes to the storeroom to rescue Matt, he tries to warn him of a trap that was set. But Superboy sets it off, sending millions of volts of electricity through his body as Kenderson watches. He runs when Superboy escapes the trap. Superboy unties Matt and helps him outside as the police and Lana arrive. Get this man some help, please. Superboy, did you see the creature? There was no creature, Lana. Not really. Out in the swamp, Kenderson's getaway boat stalls. As he's trying to restart it, a creature emerges from the water and pulls him in, leaving his boat floating about. One note I want to make before I go into my coverage of this episode, it was the opening sequence of this series where I learned for the first time that Smallville, at least at this point, was in Kansas. At this time, late 1990, I really wasn't into the comics yet. My collecting didn't really start until the death of Superman, and I backtracked through most of the previous post-crisis material as I got older in the years that followed. I didn't notice that it was in Kansas during Superman the movie. I mean, obviously I knew it was on a farm somewhere, but it wasn't until after this show that I noticed the... I think Kansas written on uh, Clark's backpack and like the canvas Kansas Express or something on the train that Clark was racing in Superman the movie. So this is where I learned Smallville was in Kansas. I don't know why that was important uh, important to bring up, but it is. It's just one of the many things I really I I learned a lot about Superman from this show. I mean, when this episode came out, I was ten, almost eleven. Nothing else had really gone deep into Superman lore. Hadn't read any comics, hadn't, didn't even know John Burns' Man of Steel existed at this point. Again, even that's something I didn't get until later. So, like I said before, I really came into came to Superman through the adapted media, through the Reeve movies, through the Super Friends, and through this show. Those are the formative things of my fandom, and this show is definitely on the tripod. So, but not this episode, other ones. So we start here with a pickup truck with these two rednecks drinking and driving on a dirt road. This, you know, doesn't seem like a good idea, even in the bright daylight. And they're talking about a monster, and uh, they don't believe it exists. And when they see something on on the road here, the driver has the awesome brainstorm of trying to run it over. Well, he doesn't get the creature, and he hits a tree, and the truck catches fire. So here's a monster, very deformed face, if that's a human. I, and we do find out through the course of the episode, the synopsis is already revealed for us that the creature is a human so this is our introduction to uh, michael carter even though we don't come to know that for another uh, 10 15 minutes so we get our first view of the bureau clark and jackson are walking uh, down a hallway outside the uh, main office there and clark is uh, giving jackson the report and this sequence tells us a lot about jackson one he uh, dismisses the report because the guys were drunk and that uh, you know when you're drunk you can uh, not always sure what you're seeing if you saw what you thought you saw. So the report is already suspect in J- 
Jackson's mind. And I'm also sure that in Jackson's experience, he has investigated thing a lot of things that didn't pan out or turned out to be uh, something mundane. So he's skeptical, especially considering the uh, blood alcohol content of these two guys who claim they saw the monster. BAC was up around 0.3. You know, I think you're pretty much dead at 0.32. So, and Jackson knows Clark very well, too. Uh, and he knows how square Clark is. I think Clark said something about touching alcohol and Clark was, he said something about knowing uh, what someone is like with a blood alcohol content that high. Clark says uh, he doesn't know. And Jackson says something to the effect that, oh, no, of course you don't. So he knows that Clark is a bit of a square, but <laughs> Jackson basically, actually not basically, is what he says. He says that these guys are so drunk that they might have saw the Superboy arm rust and the Loch Ness Monster. And Clark makes a quip about the Loch Ness Monster not having arms. And they quickly changes that to allegedly. Allegedly? Does Clark know something about the Loch Ness Monster that he's not telling us? In this kind of world, you never know. If Superboy can exist in this world, maybe the Loch Ness Monster is not that much of a stretch. But apparently, even though these guys were pissed drunk, he still had to send out Matt to uh, investigate. So here's Lana, who's upset because Matt is going out with a gun to protect himself. She wants to know who's going to uh, protect the creature. And uh, so now we're back to activist Lana from season one. If you recall, Lana was kind of the bleeding heart activist during uh, season one. And she, everyone else is uh, looking, hunting the creature. She's uh, defending its civil rights, at least for now. So Lana is defending the creature as the uh, last of its kind, which is the kind of thing that would appeal to Clark if he knew he was the last of its kind. He still doesn't know where he's from, as we're going to see in the next episode when he wonders if he's of the same race as Nila. Clark is warning her to leave it to the experienced Matt, and he wants to promise that Lana is going to do just that. Leave it to Matt. And come on, this Lana is cut from the lowest lane mold. She's not going to listen to Clark. Speaking of Matt, he is in the woods with his camp, with his hiking gear. He's uh, searching uh, for the creature. Kind of wondering if he'll find it, you know. These are the kind of things that rarely happen. You find things when you're not looking for them, more so than not. But he does uh, spy some guys in uh, white hazmat suits. So that gets his attention. He's checking out that one. He sees something above him. He just kind of like looks up and finds uh, the creature. The way he looked up, though, looked as though he had a, you know, like one of those alien abduction movies where you're just kind of waiting for the the shadow to come over him. But nope. It's uh, just the creature and his, uh, which looks like a regular guy and, you know, the way you'd expect, uh, you know, a loggerman to look, he's wearing a, a checkered flannel shirt and, uh, you know, he looks very human except for the deformed face and uh, whatever other parts of his body that we can see are deformed. So Matt has found what he believes to be the creature. So, And this is the last we're going to see of Matt for a while. Lana didn't meet Clark for lunch, but while he's at the bar, he hears these guys at a table planning to do some kind of excursion into the woods. Some of them don't seem like they're in a hurry to do what they're doing, uh, but the... Uh, Lead guy gets them to go into the woods after the creature. Clark tries to warn them off, saying that it's dangerous, but, you know, they've got their guns, so they feel they feel safe. And they're going into uh, into the woods with assault rifles. So this is not your typical uh, hunting excursion. So now here's Lana traipsing through the forest in her business clothes. Probably not the best attire for this kind of endeavor, but at least she thought to bring a canteen. Back to our gentleman from the bar, we've got this elite hunter who's having real trouble letting go of the war as he keeps referencing uh, Nam. Which is one, well, which is a reference to the Vietnam War, obviously. They hear Lana kind of moving about through uh, the brush, and they think they're chasing the creature, but it's actually Lana. I don't believe they actually figure that out because Clark is coming into the woods driving a green truck. I don't know if that's his own truck or the bureau's truck, but it's a truck. And 
and then he leaves, changes into, into Superboy to partake in the chase. Why even bring the truck at all? But that is that's neither here nor there. So while they're chasing Lana, they're hit with a strong wind. I don't know if they're thinking they're, that it's related to the monster, but they fire the lead guy, fires a few gunshots into uh, into the woods, and then uh, Superboy heat visions uh, the gun, and uh, these guys run away as the, like the cowards they are. It is unclear if they actually know it's Superboy or if they think the creature is doing this, but either way, they take off, and Superboy just gets a good laugh out of this. And I like that for this version of the character. I like seeing uh, Superboy enjoying his work and taking down these two idiots a peg. Not something you can expect Superman to do, laughing at the bad guys, but his younger version, who's not as controlled, can uh, get get away with something like that. And, uh, of course, immediately after he leaves, Lana falls into a cave, which is the creature's lair. Hence the name of the episode, The Lair. At first, I thought Superboy didn't notice, but apparently he did as Clark arrives in the cave with her. And they find a photograph of this guy with uh, his family, which I believe was Lana kind of wondering why he had it and... I think maybe Clark is starting to figure something out here that maybe uh, it's not actually a creature, but a human that's hiding in the woods. So what happens next here is pretty funny. As Clark tells her to stay in the cave and Lana comes probably about as close as she's ever going to come to catch him changing into Superboy. I mean, he's got his shirt open and she comes up behind him and uh, he has to close that thing in a hurry. One slip of the hand and secret identity out the window. And there's no time travel to solve the problem this time. So now we've uh, run into some black-suited guys with guns. These guys uh, look uh, much more competent than our previous hunters. Almost look like a special force of the unit or something. And uh, Lana and Clark are brought back to Mr. Kenderson's office. And this is where we learn uh, Mr. Kenderson's background. Apparently, uh, I believe they're reusing a surname here. I believe uh, Kenderson was a guy who got up to uh, some shady dealings in the episode Troubled Waters back in the first season. When he was trying to buy out the Smallville farmers. For a minute I had to check to see if it was the same actor. But it's not. So it's not the same guy. But Mr. Kenderson here runs a power plant. He owns the land. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of the creature. That's trespassing on his land. Because the problem he's going to have. Is the creature is proof of his wrongdoings. If anybody can get a hold of the And I think he knows who the creature is. If the creature is captured or something. And is tested. They might find out what deformed him. And he's not letting anything stand in his way. He's not even letting Superboy stand in his way. Even though what he has planned for Superboy is not nearly up to the task. So, And this is where we learn that eventually uh, the creature gave Matt all the exposition that it's, it's eventually going to give Superboy. Because uh, we last saw Matt with the creature. Now he's a captive of Henderson's men. And uh, he seemed to know what he was doing. Find, he seemed to be able to find out what he wanted to know. Meanwhile, Lana and Clark were kind of stumbling and bumbling uh, through the woods, which shows their lack of experience in these matters. So Kenderson has Matt tied up in a basement room and is threatening him with irradiated water. Apparently, Kenderson has surprises for both Superboy and Matt. We're not sure what the uh, surprise for Superboy is at this point, but the surprise for Matt is that the water is safe. At least the water that uh, Matt is offering him to drink. I guess because he pours it on Matt's head and uh, Matt doesn't start uh, burning. So Kenderson will do whatever it takes to get the creature off of his land. And back at the Bureau, because Lana and Clark will let go, because they don't know anything, Kenderson, meanwhile, is still convinced that Matt does, but once Lana and Clark go back to the Bureau, the mystery starts to, if it, you really call it a mystery, I guess the mystery of the creature is kind of starting to come into focus here, 
because Lana and Clark um, are meeting with this woman, uh, and we find out that she is the wife of the man who came to the creature. I don't think we get a first name, but she's Mrs. Carter, and she believes her husband had been dead for two years, so do the math here. A picture was stolen. They found the picture. So that kind of puts you in the mindset that Mr. Carter is the creature. And while this is happening, Kenderson uh, wants to know what Matt knows, at which point we don't even know what Kenderson wants to know. You know, it's always interesting when you watch something like this. Normally, you know the answer to the villain's questions, but we still don't know. We don't know what the creature told Matt at this point because we're not going to get that exposition dump until later. So sometimes being in the dark as a viewer is a good thing because it's nice to sometimes not to know exactly what the villain wants to know. So Clark is investigating and he's hacking into someone's files. And he mentioned that in the future, he might want to be a reporter in Metropolis. And so this is one of the few references to Clark's future that we really get in this show. We get very few mentions of Metropolis. We got one back in season two during the Superboy Rest in Peace episode where uh, the future people came from Metropolis. And there were a couple of our references to the Daily Planet. So the main clue that the creature and Mr. Carter are linked is that there's no death certificate for Mr. Carter. And therefore, his life insurance policy was never dispersed because there was no death certificate. So what is it? that tells us there was no body and the possibility that Mr. Carter is not dead. So we're learning now that the water Lana filled her canteen with, that she miraculously, in all this time, never took a swig and still has it. I guess it's not, maybe it's not the next day, maybe it's later that afternoon. But it's amazing that how many hours before Lana had filled that canteen with water and never took a sip. Usually, when I'm filling something up with water, when I'm on a hike or something, I mean, I haven't gone hiking in years, but I know my habits. Like, if I'm putting the canteen in the water to refill it, I'll probably take a sip and then fill it up to the top again. So, I, well, I wouldn't have made it out of the woods just from doing what I would ordinarily do anyway. Even when I get a drink out of the fridge, I'll fill the glass, take a sip. You know, not necessarily drink at all, but definitely fill the glass again before I put the uh, put the drink away. So. That habit wouldn't have boded well for me in this episode. That's when it kind of comes to light that the irradiated water has done something to Mr. Carter and turns him into the creature. So meanwhile, uh, one of Kenderson's men is fighting the creature and Superboy shows up, confronts the creature, and basically the creature uh, tells him basically what we've been suspecting up to this point. This is Michael Carter. He was irradiated with water and he kind of finds his deformity as justice. Kenderson was cutting corners to save money. You know, typical corrupt businessman carter refused at first but basically kenderson blackmailed him into doing uh his bidding and apparently the monster was the only person who knew about kenderson's illegal dumping but carter was shot and you know superboy wants to send him to the hospital but carter you know at this point having been in the loan in the forest in about two years he's probably ready to shuffle off this off this mortal coil but he's told his story so i guess uh, having done that he can die peacefully and this is where we learn that Matt knows everything about what Kenderson did. So now Superboy has to save Matt. He also wanted to save Carter, but he would, he kind of refused to be saved. He didn't want to be exposed as the creature. I guess he wanted his family to remember him the way he was and not as the monster that he is now. So not really much Superboy can do in that sense. I mean, he can bring him to the hospital against his wishes, but I guess he didn't want to do that. But I do love what happens next. This is almost shades of a golden age Superman type thing. Superboy barges into Kenderson's boardroom. I almost wish he knocked the door off the hinges when he came in, just to kind of emphasize on it. Starts throwing Ken Kenderson around and scared basically shitless. Kenderson folds like an old card table. 
He basically, tell me what I want to know. And Kenderson, for some reason, has no trouble confessing to everything in front of his board. Either he doesn't care or they're in on it as well. I'm guessing it's the latter that they're in on it as well, but the show doesn't really tell us. It kind of lays everything at Kenderson's feet. So Superboy goes to save Matt and Kenderson wants to uh, pump him full of electricity. We've all seen this movie before in both Crime Wave back in the end of the first season of The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. And we saw it again last season in the episode programmed uh, for death where with the uh, robot that was impersonating Andy's father was uh, tried to pump him full of a million volts. Didn't work then. It's not going to work here. So he frees Matt and he exits through a hole in the wall that Matt creates. While Superboy can walk through the electricity, Matt cannot. And after everybody's arrested, Superboy preserves the memory of Carter and basically tells Lana that there was no creature. So, how do you like that? For a character that never lies, he uh, will lie when it suits him. It suits the creature. He's not really lying for himself. He is lying to preserve Michael Carter's honor. So, there is... I guess something somewhat noble to that, that he's protecting Carter's wishes by not revealing who he was to Lana. Honestly, something Superboy knows a lot about, not telling Lana who he is himself. And at this point, you're expecting Kenderson to go back and get arrested, but for the illegal dumping, but he doesn't. I mean, I don't, I guess there'd be evidence uh, if like the EPA came by and tested the stream, but without that, it would just be kind of matched Superboy's word against Kenderson's. And then in a moment, that is very reminiscent of the original Friday the 13th movie back in like 1980 or something, maybe even a little before that. Something emerges from the water and pulls Kenderson in, at which point he's never heard from again. You know, it's been a little, well, it hasn't been that long since I've seen Friday the 13th, watched maybe about a year or so ago, but I don't remember the girl's name, the girl that survived the first movie, who either was pulled into the lake by Jason or dreamed she was. Either way, that scene of Kenderson being pulled into the lake by someone we thought was dead, was very reminiscent of that film, at least in my eyes. So, anyway, I liked this episode. I liked Lana's tenacity. I liked Jackson's skepticism. Matt didn't really have much to do other than get caught. He'll have better episodes down the line over the course of the next two seasons. He almost didn't need him at all, but there it is. You know, Peter J. Fernandez needed to cash his paycheck. But Matt will have better showings in future episodes. And, you know, we learned about our other characters. Jackson is a skeptic. Matt is good at his job. And we're seeing Lana as an activist again. We uh, haven't seen that since season one. <sighs> so now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and I'll come back and finish this episode off with Neela. Hang around, folks. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run, plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. All right, welcome back, folks. Gonna finish this episode off with Neela. This is episode four of season three. Original broadcast date was October 27th, 1990. Directed by Mark Vargo. Written by Gary Berkowitz and Gary Rosen. Guest cast included Christine Moore as Princess Neela, James Van Harper as Lee, Arnie Cox as the proprietor, Mike Gone as the officer, and Barry Mazursky as the clothing store owner. 
And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. In a dark alley at night, a blonde female warrior appears from a beam of light. As she walks down the street, she is followed by a man that is kicked out of a nightclub. When he catches up to her, he leads her to the end of another alley and tries to mug her. She counters his attack and hangs him from a fire escape as the male rocker watches from below. The woman asks where she can find Superboy, but when he doesn't have the answer, she lets him go, sending him falling to the ground below. At the Bureau, a call comes at the mad about the incident. Yeah, I, I would say that's extra normal. You call the right place, Mr. Is that S-L-A-S-H? Yeah, thank you. We'll we'll get we'll get right on. <laughs> Amazons from hell. Sounds like a Russ Meyer movie. Who? Oh, never mind. That was just some kid telling me he saw a beautiful blonde down on Denker Street who tossed a guy 30 feet, then dropped him off a fire escape. I've had dates where I wanted to do that. Wait till I tell Clark you have to leave it. But there's more. What? She said she was looking for someone. Who, the guy who sold her the steroids? <laughs> no, <laughs> Superboy. Superboy? Well, what for? How should I know? You don't think that kid really saw something, do you? No, no, just curious. I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. Out of the new stand, the woman demands to know where Superboy is. Can I help you? Superboy! How can I find him? You don't find him, he finds you. <laughs> you have a problem? No, not me. Well, now you do. I want Superboy! Where is Superboy? Accidents, crimes, that's where he shows up. Later, Clark and Lana go to the site where the incident occurred. They come across the man that was attacked but he limps away when they try to question him. Suddenly, there's a commotion in the street where the woman is throwing cars. While Lana tries to get a closer look, Clark leaves to make his change. When he arrives at Superboy, the woman tries to attack him with a single post and a sewer lid. When this proves futile, she introduces herself as Neela. Who are you? I am Neela. Is that supposed to mean something to me? It will. I'm trying to see if you're worthy. Worthy? Worthy of what? Of marrying me. If this is a joke, it isn't funny. You could have killed someone. I don't care about them, and it's no joke. I'm a warrior, an aristocrat of my planet, and it's time for me to marry. Then why did you come here? We're dying. Without wars to fight, our warriors grow old and die before our time. There are no men left? There's lots of men, but they're vendors, artisans. They don't possess the powers that I have. They're beneath me. I've come a long way for you. Do they know me where you come from? Could I be one of you? I know if you were. But we are very much alike in another way. We're both superhumans amongst lesser beings. We have strength. We have powers they couldn't even imagine. Maybe, but I'm happy here. Happy? Look at them, like little insects. What do their lives mean? 70 or 80 years of laboring, of eating and sleeping misery, and maybe a little happiness, and then it just ends for no reason? They know that, but they go on, and I learn from them. You have learned from them. Things like consideration, kindness, humility. Go back home and live among the ones on your own planet. Maybe then you'll learn what the human part of superhuman means. 
She goes back to the site of the damage she caused and hurls the car at Lana, and Superboy moves her out of the way and takes her into a safe space where she won't be harmed. When Superboy threatens to get rid of her, Neela pretends to leave, but a moment later, she reappears and finds Lana's bureau badge. The following day, Neela finds some new attire to wear at a clothing store, including a fur stole, and changes her blonde hair to look more like a presentable human. She's about to leave without paying, and the man stops her and proposes to make a deal as she's about to harm him. At the bureau, Lana makes it known that she feels threatened by Neela because she cannot compete with her powers to have Superboy. And then Superboy forced the hideous creature to dematerialize in a penetrating beam of light. What do you think? Well, you do have a flare. But Superboy didn't have much to do with it. And she wasn't hideous. Men, all a woman has to do is show some skin and they think she's beautiful. Come on, Lana. What? Fine. Okay, fine. She was beautiful. What's going to happen next time? Next time? Clark, she had superpowers just like him. How am I supposed to compete with someone like that? I mean, this woman could fly and, and lift cars. And I, I can't even cook. A call comes in to Clark about a Neela sighting at the clothing store. As he leaves to see about it, he bumps into the quote-unquote newly Neela, not recognizing her. Neela talks to Lana, giving a fake background story about her career. She then pretends to be hungry so they can leave. When Clark gets to the store, the owner's being wheeled out on a stretcher. Hey, excuse uh, me. Um, the woman who did this, was she blonde in a strange outfit? Yeah, but, but she's a, a brunette now. Brunette? Got rid of all that makeup, too. She took a fox stove from me. Must be, must be worth at least a couple of hundred dollars. Hey, leave the guy alone. Come on. Clark knows who he's talking about and then changes to Superboy as he leaves the scene. He arrives at the bureau as Matt and Jackson are leaving for the day to discover that Lana and the quote-unquote new girl have left for dinner. He takes to the sky to find them. While they have dinner on top of a building, Neela makes off comments while she and Lana talk about relationships. Uh, this is a great idea coming up here. She's incredible. You're not afraid of heights, are you? No, not me. <laughs> 25 nightclubs, a dozen gyms. You'll find someone. I wish I could be so sure. But it's hard to find the right guy, isn't it? I demand. I expect a lot. Maybe too much. Why should I settle for someone who has any less to offer than I do? You don't, but sometimes you have to compromise. Do you? Well, no. The guy I'm interested in is uh, pretty special. I'm sure he is. What do you think he's looking for? the same thing as everyone. Caring, putting the other person ahead of yourself, being willing to make a sacrifice for them. Sacrifice? You know what I mean. I think it's something else. What? It's your helplessness. I'm not helpless. <laughs> You're helpless compared to Superboy. Someone with his powers could snap you in two if you got in their way. 
your hair. She shows her true colors and changes back to her original appearance, then begins to choke Lana. Superboy arrives and Yellow lets go of Lana, and she begins to destroy the building to force Superboy to give in to her. To stop further destruction, Lana sacrifices herself and jumps over the edge. Superboy catches her, and Neela is infuriated. She was willing to die? To save others! That's what we insects do. What's it gonna be? If you're willing to learn. <sighs> 22 minutes of this. Ugh. So, this episode introduces her to Neela. This is her first of two appearances. Neela is a warrior princess from an unknown, unknown planet, and I am not going to beat around the bush here. Neela is basically Maxima, as she appeared in her early appearances in Superman comics. She made her first appearance in 1989 in Action Comics number 645, created by Roger Stern and George Perez, although that appearance was... Basically, only in uh, the the last page of that issue, I believe uh, the Maxima that appeared in that issue was a simulacrum. I glanced through the comic last night after watching the episode. She returned to uh, Bedevil Superman in Action Comics number 651, where she, during the uh, Krypton Man arc, and she basically told Superman she was there to test his worthiness for marriage, which is kind of what Neela is doing here. I don't know how rights work. Back then or now, I do believe that maybe maybe when the Salkinds bought the, the adaptation rights to Superman, it only accumulated what had been up until the time of the purchase. Maxima was not created until 1989, a good 11 years after Superman the movie. It is also possible that the writers wanted to use Maxima. DC either said no or didn't want to pay a fee. For, for the license, or somebody didn't want uh, George Perez and Roger Stern to get a check. Either way, while Neela's backstory is very much Maxima, she is not Maxima, even though she pretty much has Maxima's backstory. So, we start in this dark alley, and we see a teleportation beam, and a woman with some big white 80s hair comes uh, appears, uh, rocking some kind of warrior garb. She uh, looks like she would have fit right in a biker bar or in an 80s hair metal music video. And uh, she's about to uh, get a suitor as this guy chases her. And, you know, Neil is just walking down the street in uh, this elaborate warrior's outfit. You know, it looks like a female biker. Nobody is paying her no mind. It's like people walk around uh, the the city like that all the time in uh, Capital City. Maybe they do. So, Neela asks the guy that's following her for help. And uh, he is going to lure her in a very predatory fashion. Here they go into a dark alley, and he tries to mug her with a razor blade. He uh, swings the blade at her, tries to uh, slice her and dice her, but, you know, she's invulnerable, and uh, the blade is none the worse for wear. He wants to run off, and uh, she basically throws him away like a 
stack of old garbage onto a fire escape, which is 30 feet in the air. So she wants Superboy, and uh, when her, our mugger friend can't give an answer, he is thrown off the fire escape to his death. So the next day at the bureau, Matt is taking, or maybe even later that night, Matt is taking a call from a Mr. Slasher. I'm guessing uh, our big-haired blonde has made quite an impression. So Lana and Matt are having a big joke over this until Matt mentions that the woman wanted Superboy. And then Lana tends to get down in the dumps. So Neil is walking down the street screaming that she wants Superboy. And uh, basically, she's uh, going to tear the, uh, the town apart looking for him. Because this newsstand owner basically told her that he only shows up when there's trouble. So Neil figures that if she makes a big enough racket, he's going to show up. Eventually he does, but not yet. And uh, Clark and Lana are investigating. And Clark walks past this hooker that looks familiar. I'm not sure where I saw this actress before, but... Uh, but then I couldn't really figure out who, what a character she was. I'll never know. I don't know, but she looks familiar like I've seen her somewhere, someplace before. So Lana is worried about Superboy, and she mentions that she has a relationship with him. Does he know that? Clark doesn't seem to. So they find uh, the scene of the crime. Clark finds the uh, bent-up blade. And then we see Neil is the victim, who is walking pretty good for someone who was thrown 30 feet in the air and then off a fire escape. No broken bones. He can just uh, toddle away. So, here is Anila throwing more stuff and people around. Lana is going to use her bureau as a press badge to get closer to the fight. Clark thinks it's a bad idea. I would, too. So, basically, Anila's plan is to just, again, throw everything around until Superboy shows up. It's like what my kids do. They just throw shit around in their room and wait for me to come up and yell at them. So, this one cop shoots at her, and uh, she just laughs. One cop. Everyone else uh, has the night off. <laughs> Except for this. One short, mustached, balding, mustached guy with a shotgun. No one else is anywhere to be seen. But you know what? Clark and Lana are there, and you know, Superboy is taking his sweet-ass time uh, showing up. No sooner had I formed that thought that Superboy shows up, and uh, Neela throws a street sign over his head, and then and then uh, a manhole cover. Apparently, she wants to play some Frisbee. So Neela wants to know if Superboy is worthy of marrying her. Like I said, Maxima. Even Maxima's Wikipedia page, when it lists uh, other appearances and adaptations, lists Neela as based heavily on uh, Maxima. Now, Superboy is uh, pretty pissed about what she's done, and uh, she's an aristocrat. Her people are dying. She's looking for someone worthy of her hand in marriage. Her home planet could almost be Almarac. It isn't, but it could be. Somebody didn't want to give up those rights. And really, at this point, nobody really knew what Maxima was going to be. Although her backstory was already established, this episode aired in October, Action Comics 651 came out in, which really gave Maxima's backstory, came out on February 7th, so plenty of time for the writers to read the issue and uh, borrow Maxima's backstory. So Superboy, who, like I mentioned in the opening part, doesn't know what, where he's from yet, and he wonders uh, if he and Neela could be of the same species. Neela tells him that he's not, so uh, so much for that, uh, Superboy. Neela just can't fathom Superboy being happy uh, on Earth with beings that she sees as no more than insects. And she actually calls them insects. I mean, they get up, they go to work, they go home. Rinse, wash, repeat. If human beings aren't insects, I don't know what what we are. So Superboy, however, is not taking Neela's crap. And uh, basically he yells at her, chases her home to learn about what it means to be human. Well, she doesn't want to learn just yet. And uh, she's going to respond in a very rational fashion by throwing more stuff around. Apparently, she senses some kind of attachment from Superboy to Lana, so she tries to take care of that by uh, throwing a car at her. 
the uh, shot of Superboy pulling Lana away from the vehicle is used uh, in the opening sequence. Superboy is now angry as hell and wants to make sure Neela never comes back, and off she goes. You know, that should be the end of the episode, and you can only hope she doesn't come back, but you know what? There's still 10 minutes to go in this episode. She's going to come back, and she's going to find Lana's bureau card, which, you know, check off bureau card right there, and uh, Neela's going to up the ante right here. So now Neela is back, dressed as a human this time, and she's going to live as a human being, and she's uh, stealing clothes because... I guess she doesn't understand the guy, the idea of currency. Probably less not understanding and more not giving a damn. So she steals a, a gray business suit, a, a fur shawl, and puts the owner in the hospital. Back at the bureau, Lana is mad. She calls uh, Neela hideous, but Clark didn't agree with that assessment. And uh, basically, uh, Lana kind of just starts going off and uh, starts airing out her insecurities because Superboy has met a superpowered woman. Of course, she's assuming. Uh, Superboy wants that. She's pointing out that uh, while Neela can, uh, you know, throw everything around the way she did, she can do all that. Lana can't even cook. Well, Lana, you can certainly do something about your ability to cook if you're that worried about it. So Clark bumps into the uh, disguised Neela, who is talking to Lana, who just says she was transferred to the Bureau. So uh, she's come in and she's trying a different approach. She's going to do some recon uh, because she saw Superboy's Attachment to Lana. She kind of wants to see what he's uh, what he wants in a woman. Meanwhile, Clark shows up at the clothing shop, asks uh, the uh, cri- newly crippled owner if uh, the woman was Neela, and basically he uh, confirmed that it was, and that she's now a brunette. So now, as he leaves, Clark changes to Superboy, and the shirt rip you see here is the one from the opening sequence. I was kind of wondering when that was going to show up. So Superboy shows up uh, at the bureau looking for Lana, but she's already gone to lunch or dinner with. Uh, Neela's alter ego. I don't remember if she gave a name. But before Superboy shows up, we get this humorous exchange with Jackson and uh, counted down to retirement. Just another routine day. The Bureau for extra normal matters. 954 more of them left before I can retire. 953. And so it shows us there's some relationship with uh, Matt and Jackson. They're more than just co-workers. You know, people are, fr- are friends at work, and uh, so that is certainly uh, not out of the realm of possibility. According to Matt, he's got got 953 days until retirement. At least according to Matt, Jackson said 954. So basically, he's got uh, about a little bit less than four years to go, about three and a half years. Uh, 953 divided by, uh, got that by, you know, divided 953 into five days per week. That gives you about 191 hours. Divide that by 52, and that leaves you at less than four years. I'll bet you didn't think you were getting a, you were going to get a math lesson on this podcast. So, anyway, at this point, Superboy knows Lana is with Neela because Jackson and Matt tell her that she's uh, with the new girl, who <laughs> apparently Jackson knew probably knew nothing about, but that's neither here nor there. That's really not addressed. The Superboy just kind of runs off, and that's the end of that. So, Neela's not so much trying to bond with Lana as she's, uh, or she is, in the attempt to get information out of her. Lana mentions that she's interested in someone special. Of course, Neela knows who she's talking about. They're both obviously they're both talking about Superboy, but Lana doesn't know that. So Neela doesn't understand things like compromise and sacrifice, and her true personality starts coming out when Neela mentions how helpless Lana is, and that's when uh, Lana figures out who she's really talking to. So a flash of green light, and Neela regains her true form, and the rooftop restaurant suddenly clears. So. Superboy saves Lana. 
Neil is angry, and they argue over Superboy's destiny for a little bit. And then she threatens thousands of lives unless Superboy comes with her. And Lana has a very simple and rational answer to all of this. She knows the perfect way to fix what's ailing everybody. She throws herself off the roof because that's what those insects do. And she actually does say that, too, because Neil doesn't have any understanding of why Lana would do that. So Superboy, obviously Superboy catches Lana and Neela, who is uh, very good at yelling and screaming because Superboy saved her. That's basically Superboy making his choice. His choice was Lana because she was willing to die to save humans. And at this point, Neela still wants to fight, but she doesn't. She does give us a couple of good nuclear man screams as she teleports away thinking uh, maybe they have something to teach us. And Superboy, who seems to have a psychological need to get the last word, Says only if they're willing to learn, and you know what? At this point, maybe she is willing to learn. This was a pretty good episode for Lana, showing her convictions and that she is as selfless as Superboy, willing to sacrifice herself for the good of others. And that's really what changed Neela's mind. She saw that Lana was willing to sacrifice her life to save her people. Maybe there is more to humanity than getting up, going to work, and coming home. So it is very nice to see Lana backing up her convictions even if throwing yourself off the roof to do so, is a little bit extreme. So, not a bad episode. Neela's not really a compelling character. Kind of one, very one note. Basically, a spoiled princess who throws things around when she doesn't get what she wants. Which is pretty much, I believe, how Maxima acted during her first appearance on Superman the Animated Series. We'll have to look at that when we get to it. But the character of Maxima was a little more nuanced, but the uh, desire was the same. To test Superboy and the Superman to see if he's Worthy of marriage to her. So, that's all I got for this one. Next time, perhaps my favorite two-parter of the series, The Road Not Taken, Parts 1 and 2. I can't wait to bring you that episode. But until then, feedback's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast and, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you leave me a review over an Apple Podcast and help others find the show. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Spring Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.